Welcome to The Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world. This is a special series of conversations about how Black and white women are navigating anti-racism. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. On each of these special episodes, I'll be in conversation with a Black, Indigenous, or woman of color colleague, and together we'll explore anti-racism and racial justice, what it means not only in the big picture, but how our daily lives are impacted, what we're reading, what we're doing, and where we go from here. The Liberatory Consciousness Framework, created by organizational development consultant Barbara J. Love, was recently presented by Erica Hines of Every Level Leadership at a small business community forum on racial justice organized by Rachel Rogers. The framework has four parts, awareness, analysis, action, and accountability slash allyship. As Erica Hines emphasized in her presentation, many of us aren't ready for action yet because we haven't completed the work in the awareness and analysis stages. This special series is part of my effort to raise awareness and engage in the analysis. There's a list of anti-racism resources at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. And you can check out all the past episodes of The Well Woman Show featuring Black, Indigenous, and women of color at wellwomanlife.com slash women of color. This special series on anti-racism is part of the Podcasters for Justice campaign. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of the police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we're committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black lives matter. We believe that Black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witnesses to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we'll use our voices to speak against anti-Blackness and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. Here are three things you can do right away. The first is donate to any of the following funds, George Floyd Memorial Fund, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Black Visions Collective, Campaign Zero, or Black Lives Matter. Number two, sign a petition. You can text FLOYD to 55156 to sign a petition to demand justice for George Floyd. Number three, you can sign up at Color of Change to be notified of more opportunities to take action. You can find all of these links on the show notes at wellwomanlife.com slash podcast. Hello, Well Women. Welcome to the first in a series of episodes unlike anything we've done before on the Well Woman Show. I knew I wanted to do something to lift up Black voices and share the mic. So instead of an interview or commentary just for me, this is a conversation between me and my friend and colleague, Candace Thomas, exploring racial justice from our unique perspectives and lived experiences. Candace is an intuitive advisor and psychic medium who helps entrepreneurs, professional creatives, and psychic mediums to go to the next level of success by embracing their spiritual power and inner alchemy. You can check out my interview with Candace back in 2018 at wellwomanlife.com slash 109 show. 
Hi, Candace. Giovanna here. Hey, Giovanna. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm excited. Yeah, cool. So we're here. We're going to have a conversation. And I just, I'm wondering, like, what are you excited about? I'm excited just to be having a conversation. And, you know, the last couple of weeks has been challenging for me in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I've been feeling unsure of how even to respond or what to do. And today just really feels like this is a great opportunity where I can just be useful, you know, and just by being authentic and honest, and this might be helpful and beneficial to anyone who's listening. So I feel really, really great about that. And I'm excited to have a conversation (laughs) as we're calling it at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I know just from doing some other talking with you offline before we started recording, you're really feeling like this could be uh, a time for healing and coming together if we do the work. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that idea? Well, yeah. So I I think everything that happened with George, George Floyd, and it's bizarre because it's not anything that's new, but it was I honestly don't know what was different about this time and people have been speculating maybe it was because of COVID and everybody not being able to get outside, sports canceled, concerts canceled, so there were no distractions to what I feel has been very obvious, but what seems like the rest of the world is just like, what? Almost, it reminds me of some ways of what happened with the Me Too movement. And I will say it was so weird because when things first started happening, I got pulled into a spiral of shame as a black woman, right? And what was I, what I was ashamed about was I really did feel like I was alone, which is odd because I have friends who love me very dearly. I love and trust them. I, you know, I am doing pretty well, you know, but it was still like a, a feeling of very consciously feeling of being the outsider in America. And it was so painful. And I I was taking it personally when, um, you know, I work a lot with intuition. So I'm in circles with, I'm doing air quotes, can't see me, but high vibe spiritual people. Mm -hmm. So those would be like astrologers, the tarot readers, or people who do crystal healing, a lot of light workers, as some of them call themselves, but especially psychic mediums, uh, mediums in the spiritualist church. And for a long time, there was just silence on those platforms, the platforms of the biggest leadership. And it was hurtful. And I really felt like these people didn't care. And the, and I felt shame around that because it was like, I know I'm not supposed to be judging other people. And, you know, the four agreements don't take anything personally. And obviously I have an expectation that I'm projecting onto what I thought was my spiritual leadership, but it still hurt. It hurt deep in a way that I wasn't even able to articulate or verbalize because it's like there's no more gaslighting. There's no more pretending, oh, well, I know what the person's intent was. They didn't mean it. It's like intent doesn't erase the impact. And then uh, this past weekend, I just had this download where I very strongly felt things are probably going to get worse because now people are going to start battling against information and ideas as they have been, but I feel like that's going to get more intense. But it was a reminder of what I was actually experiencing and feeling with grief. 
And just like in grief, and people always talk about seven stages of grief, I feel like as a country, and not even just African Americans, but as we talk to white folks and other people of color, we're, we're all being confronted with the stages of grief, which are like rage, anger, and trying to like, let's um, come up with solutions, bargaining, and then just terrible sadness. And then you think you're fine for a moment because you're in denial of things. And it's like a vicious cycle. Um, but what happens through grief? Grief is healing. Grief is the world gets ripped away and then you begin to learn who you are. That People have the possibility of doing that. Some people get stuck in grief for sure. But for me personally, the download that I received was just a reminder of, oh yeah, it's always the darkest before the light. As all of these things are, are coming to the surface, I feel like a lot of people are trying to say like our world's descending to hell and I've had a couple white folks tell me it feels like this is the end of days and it's like well maybe it's the end of days for this polite society but I don't feel like it's a darkness descending I feel like this darkness was already there it's just now everyone can see it as opposed to a segment of our our country or of the world and if we don't go back into hiding if we don't rush too quickly to try to solve and fix if we actually take the opportunity to use that discomfort and look at it and embrace it especially with what's going on inside of us individually we have a chance to experience a world we didn't even know was possible you know so i feel like we have such a great incredible opportunity here that People don't just experience adversity for kicks and giggles. Like usually every time there's a failure or a collapse, it's because it's an invitation to step into greater growth and greater authority and greater healing. So that's how I view what's happening now. It's very uncomfortable and not to minimize the very real pain that people are going through. Uh, it's, it's all important, though. I feel like it's um, important on purpose. And if we're willing to go there and stay uncomfortable, we can really create something new that's fair for everyone. Anti-racism is not about just making it fair for black people. It is dismantling systemic structures that have been hindering everyone except for a very small, uh, ironically, like rich elite minority of people like the, right. the systems don't work for anybody, you know? So well, it's, and if you go back to the idea that when you support the most vulnerable in the community, actually everyone does better. And so there's that idea. And then there's that idea also in parallel in the women's movement. It's like, if, if you have a more equal society between the genders, men actually do better. Like there's less masculine toxicity and all of that stuff. So anyway, that, that just reminded me of that. I think there are so many parallels, not, not to bring it over to feminism or women, but it does, it, it does make you start thinking of all the different ways this is, this is playing out. Right. And, and it's important, you know, it's, it, everything is, there's so many layers to it, which is why I feel like a lot of people are feeling lost and are having a hard time because the closer you look at everything that's going on, you realize like all our systems are effed, like they're all messed up. And it's not like, <laughs> like, oh, we were doing really good over here. I think if anything, it's like, and I think that's why a lot of people are having a, a really hard time accepting things or being willing to even consider the possibility that America is still very racist, because it would mean that the things that they loved and believed in and ideas, ideals about themselves, just all fall apart. And it's, yeah. it's not that at all. It's like we can create new ideas and better ideas on what we all think things 
ought to be, as opposed to turning a blind eye to how things actually are. So when people are really feeling like, oh, things are really divisive now, it was always divisive. It's just certain a majority of people weren't willing to see it. They could see it. They just weren't willing to believe what they were seeing. And it wasn't affecting them as much. So it was, it was like it was easier to just go on with life without dealing with it. Whereas actually now it, it is affecting, you know, quote unquote, inconvenient for a lot of people. And they're like, wait, what do I do about this? This is not the way, <laughs> this is not the right, way you I know? usually operate. And so it's unraveling a lot of, of things for people. Absolutely. And our tendency is to want to check the box. So let me check the box box to know if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm being a good person. And that's also hard because, you know, I'm very fortunate because I didn't have that many white people uh, reach out to me the same way that my friends got reached out to. Like, well, what do I do? And, and um, like, it, it wasn't that. So I wasn't overwhelmed because it's like, I don't know. How do you as a black person tell a white person when they ask, what do you do? Be not racist. And what does that even mean? You know, it's um, we it's a time where people have to start coming together. But and Giovanna and I were at a, a town hall last night listening to leaders talk about this. And I loved how one of the speakers and I'm blanking on her name at the moment, but she talked about our tendency is once we're aware of something, it's to jump right into action because we want to fix it right away. But that's when things feel performative. That's when a corporation just makes a post and, hey, box checked, racism solved. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and a, lot, a lot of these major organizations are being called the carpet as they're saying one thing, but their history of dealing with their own employees or their consumers is completely different. It's still very much racist. So I think what's uncomfortable for a lot of people right now is we have to work together to come up with solutions and answers, but it does require white people to stay uncomfortable and take risks and chances of being called out and and figuring out really, um, and the woman last night was talking about doing the analysis. So Erica really looking Himes. at, all right. Yeah, Erica Exactly, Heim. yeah, Erica Heim. Uh, like really looking at where in my own organization do I have a blind spot? And I like to use the word blind spot, you know, because if you think of it that way, it's like you're a blind spot to the racism that all of us have just been born into. It has nothing to do with whether someone's a good or bad person. It's literally huge blind spots that we've all been operating with. Yeah, that's why they're called blind spots, because you can't see them. So that's why you need other people to help you see them. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because Erica Hines, with Every Level Leadership, she was one of the speakers at the town hall that we attended. And we'll I'll link to this in the show notes for this, but um, so people can watch the replay if they're interested. It was, it was really interesting um, following along with all, all the speakers. And I think just tying into what you're saying, Candice, about, you know, now it's now it's about if if we're going to do the work because everybody and rightly so is coming out with these statements about how they're committed to uh, Black Lives Matter and anti racism and and that's all great but what is that like what does that really mean on a daily basis in your actual life or in your company like what are you going to change 
in order to operationalize that, you know, and, and that's where the, that's where the detail is. That's the actual work. And so I think, I think it's challenging because a lot of people want to kind of get on with it. Like, let's, let's acknowledge this. And then can I get back to business? Like, I can't even tell you how many people have been asking, like, can I, can I get back to, to regular business? Um, you know, is it insensitive to keep posting on my business page or whatever? And it's like, well, is what you're posting in line with your stated values of being committed to anti-racism that, right? and so if, if what you're putting out there is in line with your values, then, then, you know, then you should be fine. If it's not, well, probably you need to work on that. Right. Well, right. It's, and it's, it's little things that we, people can do. And one of the reasons that I connected with you, Giovanna, and like, this is one of the things that black people don't really, we talk about it with each other, but not necessarily with people who aren't black because typically folks weren't getting it. And um, one of the things that I noticed about you before it became the end thing to do to be anti-racist is you always were featuring a lot of women and a lot of women of different cultures, colors, and backgrounds. And they were on your stages. If I went to a Giovanni Rossi event, people of color in the audience, it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't, there wasn't just one like tokenism. It was, I felt safe there because it was like, oh, there are people who look like me or not everyone here is white. And we live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think diversity, there are more people of color here than white people, but that isn't a normal experience. If I go to events out here for business or whatever else, especially in the spiritual circles, predominantly white. And it doesn't, does that stuff matter? I mean, I didn't realize that, yeah, it mattered a lot because in spaces like that, there are a lot of microaggressions and those are things that people just say or do. And it just comes from ignorance. Again, it's blind spots. They don't really mean anything by it, but it really does make a black person or other people of color feel like an outsider, you know? And so I've never gotten that in a space of yours, which is why, again, I'm just excited to have this conversation because I feel like you're doing the work, you've been doing the work, whether you are aware of it consciously or not, but that's an example. And that's like a small one for people who want to be leaders or show up for folks. Where are your people of color? Did you just rush out and grab the one black friend that you had to prove that you weren't racist? Like, And what was that about? What was that conversation like? Well, yeah. So since we're talking about this um, and you just shared, you know, what kinds of conversations you usually have just with black people, I will let you know what conversations I usually have just with white people. And so now we're getting really real. Uh, So, you know, it, it is a lot of times about I need to fulfill some sort of quota. Can you help me find some women of color to attend this event or to sign up for this thing or whatever? Like I'm talking over years of working in the community and in policy and in nonprofits and, and this kind of thing. It's a common, you know, it's, it's pretty common. It's like, uh, how you know, how do we fulfill this 
what, what we know is right, but we don't actually have the relationships in place to make it happen. So we're going to, you know, quickly try to throw some things together. So that that is a very real conversation. So I would say that, that yeah, like exactly what you're saying, that's a good place to start. And And just to acknowledge what you articulated just now about my events and, and my podcasts and featuring women of color and on in my events and on my podcast, I will say it, it is intentional. Like, I don't think these things happen without intention. Um, when, uh, it just, I think it has to be intentional. So I guess my takeaway here, or like, if I was going to share this with, uh, with listeners is, you know, building intention in to your work plan, it has to be a part of it. And um, even with a lot of focus and a lot of intention around diversity and my own personal and professional commitment to uh, inclusion and equity, uh, you know, I still fall short. Like it, it's not fifty percent. I would, I, I, I imagine. I'm, I can actually go back and look at the numbers. In fact, I did recently go back and look at at numbers of of women of color guests on this show. And, um, and it's not 50% uh, and not, not to say 50% is like the magic number, but just, you know, just cause we're talking about it. It's interesting to notice. Um, it seems like it's more like 35 to 40%, uh, which is awesome, I think, but it's still not, you know, it's not, it's not equity. Right. <laughs> But I mean, but isn't that, that's the whole thing where it's like, even though it's at 30%, let's say it's, um, I noticed that I, I looked at when people are talking to me about Giamatti, I'm like, well, let me just, let me just look. And, uh, and I didn't, I didn't realize how much it bothered me if I was the only black person. So I grew up in Denver, Colorado and my school, my high school is predominantly black. And then I went to a historically black college or university when I went to that college, it was still predominantly white, but the, it was more like 60% white, 40% black and other minorities. So I didn't have the experience growing up where I was like the one or 2% black kids, you know, until I went into the workforce. And that was a whole new world. So one of the first places that I worked in after I graduated college was in Laramie, Wyoming, and there were so few black people there. If I saw another black person, it was like we would just make eye contact and just have this knowing like, oh, what are you doing here in, in Wyoming? Um, which sounds racist <laughs> coming from a black woman. But I mean, that, there were so few black people. And it was interesting to me how that was the moment I realized like, wow, I might be one of the few black people that a lot of these folks will ever meet, will have met, will get to know. And as a, a person of color, I don't know if any of us can say something like that in America, that we could live our whole lives without actually knowing a white person. And so when you think about that, the questions that I would get asked, it was um, it was just a lot of ignorance. I don't, the word that it's like covert racism, I guess, ignorance, but they were really nice people. They were really great people. It was a different perspective. And it was really interesting to see that someone's value and perspective was totally shaped on what they saw in movies. You know, like literally I hadn't had that experience in my life. And then those kind of kinds of things just 
stuck with me. It's in the back of my mind. It didn't go away as I'm in other interactions where once again, I'm the only black person in a room. Uh, and again, especially in the spiritual community where people, they can back up their racism with feeling like it's justified by God, you know, and um, this belief that if you make someone uncomfortable, it's low vibrational. You're not doing the work. If you are pointing out to someone that they have a blind spot, which is untrue part of, and, and people who are doing the love and light thing, if you're really loving someone, it's to help them do better. If we really love ourselves, it's to ask for what we actually deserve, which is to be treated as equals and as human beings. And if that's not happening, and that's where I think some of the frustration and, and the fear comes from white folks where they're like, I can't even say anything. If you try, people can understand, like you might get someone who snaps at you for sure. It is not polite at all. That doesn't really care about your intent for sure. Mm. But it's because it, it's in response to or a result of years and years and years of black people being minimized, ignored a weaponization of the four agreements, I like to say. I've just made that up, uh, but I'm going to run with it, where four agreements, you know, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally. And I've literally been in spiritual communities, and I've been seeing it on people's walls where they're like, hey, you know, if you're feeling bad, that's on you. You've got to do the work. And it's like, wow, that's, that's we wouldn't say that if it was someone, uh, and people are literally being murdered. Innocent people are being murdered, and that's still not being seen it's still people are going oh well coming up with excuses to justify it you know which is mm -hmm. it just boggles my mind anyway i got off on a tangent yeah um, no but i good. love i love that you are keeping track like you have numbers and you that does show me you're definitely keeping track of that and i wonder if people really are committed to diversity are they keeping track of their numbers yeah and giovanna I was just going to ask you, so when you're in the conversations with white folks and they're like, hey, uh, we're, we need like to get more voices of color here. How are you able to find people of color? Where are you going that they aren't? Do you notice what's, what's different between the way you work versus what you're witnessing other people do? Yeah, so um, it's a great question because it goes back to intention and relationship building and your values. And if if it's an afterthought, um, then it's always going to be an uphill struggle to get to where you want to be or need to be. Um, if it's embedded and woven through your being or your practices, your business practices, it, it, it happens... Um, I was going to say with ease, I don't want to say like it's easy. I'm just saying when you're, when you're acting on your values and your values truly are equity and diversity, um, then you make certain decisions, right? And you create certain relationships and you nurture certain relationships um, because it's in line with who you are. So um I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it's a it's a start. Um, I would say where I would I, I would say for people listening and they're like, where do I start? You know, it, it really is like where are your what are your values? What do you really? Because where we spend our time is what we 
think is important, right? And right. Um, if if diversity and equity is an afterthought, then it's going to show up that way. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. It's just going to show up that way um, in your business practices and in your events and in your marketing. Um, if it's if it's a part of what you think is important and want to focus on, then you will spend more time and resources on it. Um, and so for any anyone who's like, well, I just don't have time to do that. Like it's so much extra work. Um, then I would, I would question that and say, well, would you rather do the work, you know, upfront or do the work later? <laughs> Cause you're going to be doing right. the work. I got chills on that when you just said it. I, I don't think there's a going back. Like typically in the past, people get upset about things and we just kind of go back to how we have done stuff. But I don't, I don't feel that that's what's going to happen. You know, I don't. And I, you better believe people are really looking. And I'm really surprised that uh, my name is being shared all over social media, my um, business handle and stuff, because people are like, hey, I want to know, I want to support black owned businesses. I want to support people who explore diversity. And so I know that if, if people take a stand for what they believe in, it can cause them to lose people. But I feel strongly that you will gain more people if you show up with intention to be anti-racist and diverse. And people are going to be looking for, you know, do you have people of color on your staff? Who's on your stages? Uh, what are your workers saying? And again, very similar it reminds me of Me Too movement where people just started coming out of the woodwork, like one person shared and they're like, oh yeah, and this also happened and this also happened. And everyone just kind of showing the truth of what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to get, I guess, maybe we can get a little bit more concrete with with what we learned at the town hall last night um, for listeners who might want to uh, definitely check out the town hall. Like, I don't want to try to paraphrase anything that anybody said there, but I, I do want to share that there are some very concrete actions that the biz- that businesses can take um, to begin to become like to, and it really is a beginning um, to commit to being anti-racist and, um, so, for example, one is uh, naming naming white supremacy in company values and operations. And, um, you know, uh, so this kind of goes to what you were just saying, Candace. I, and I just want to really call it out very clearly, for me at least, I, I think we have to be really clear that this is not politics that we're talking about. This is not a political opinion. We're talking about human rights. And to me, it's that clear. Like, it's so clear that, um, that, that it, so if, if you're out there and you're being questioned or, or you're wondering how do you articulate this or how do you, you know, quote unquote, not offend people in your organization or, or whatever, um, 
the answer is really, really clear when you think of it that way. Like this, this is not, this is not just like, I just don't do politics. It's about human rights. Right. Right. And I, I have to say when I was speaking earlier about, you know, I'm looking at my spiritual leadership, people I paid thousands of dollars to people that I, I felt like I grew up with them in a way and they said nothing or they came with um, one person like, Hey, download and buy my meditation because I think we could all use balance right now. And I am unfollowing folks straight up. It's not enough just if a person personally isn't racist. It really made me feel like you don't have my back. I'm never going to, I talk to a lot of people of color. I'm not going to refer your books. I'm not going to refer them to your workshops because I no longer feel safe there. And I don't feel like anyone that I would send to you would be safe there. You know, it's like just, uh, if I don't have, I am not a, I'm a psychic medium, but I am not a mind reader in that way. And I can no longer take a chance that if something happened, that leader would be silent and make someone feel harm like they didn't even belong as a human being. So I think that is for anyone listening, if you are not black, to hear that, if you aren't saying anything and you're relying on the fact that you know yourself to not be racist, that's not going to be enough because we can't tell the difference unless you're starting to promote that kind of a culture and really stating what you believe and taking a stand. Yeah, so absolutely. So saying what you believe and then engaging in anti-racist education was was a second point on this pledge that the town hall had. Um, and we can, again, link to it in the show notes so people can read this. But, um, you know, so then, so it goes beyond just stating, making a statement. It's then like really engaging in the education. So um, paying black people for their time to educate you in whatever form that is, buying their books, buying their trainings, um, hiring consultants and coaches, um, working. And not just to talk about the uh, anti-racism stuff, you know, like um, actually including them in the work that you do. If you're out there hiring consultants or hiring trainers, it doesn't, they don't only have to be like in your diversity section, which is what typically has happened in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Good point. Because um, a lot of times, in fact, I read someone's post saying, you know, I was looking for books for my daughter that feature black girls instead of all always white girls. And uh, the recommendations were all kind of like just books about racism or about the history of black people. And she was like, I just want stories. Like, I just want my daughter to be able to read stories. Like, you don't always have to only be looking to black people for, you know, the historical and the analysis and all of that. Um, we need to um, include them in regular, like, you know, like Abram, um, what's his last name? He wrote um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He said, you know, I think the thing that people don't know, the, the biggest thing people don't know about me is that I'm not serious and angry all the time. <laughs> like I'm a regular right. person that has a sense of humor and like does other things. Okay, so there there were five things in this pledge, and I already went over two of them. Um, another one is to commit to open conflict and allow discomfort. 
So really acknowledging the conflict, dealing with the issue and staying with the conversation rather than um, doing what might be easier in the short term, which is to avoid it altogether, (laughs) right? The last two points on the pledge were really interesting and kind of uh, more, more sort of what can you, you know, actually build inside your business. This is for business owners. Not everybody listening will be a business owner, but um, the fourth one was to invest your invest some money from your budget monthly to hire um, and to pay your vendors that are uh, black owned businesses. So actually like making sure a portion of what you're spending goes to um, black led organizations and businesses. Um, and, and that then, you could do if you're not a business owner, you know, just going to a black owned restaurant or um, I, the example they use were like, if you're buying pens, I guess that's still more business, but there are lots of black owned everything, you know? So just taking the time to choose to see, get out of the limited worlds or bubbles that we're in and, and engage with the broader community. Yeah. And then the fifth point on the pledge, the fifth and final point was to express sincere long-term commitment to being an anti-racist person or organization. And so what does that look like? That's, you know, that's a statement on all of your external facing things like website and different documents and things. So I found those five to be really concrete and, and things that, that, you know, we can hold businesses accountable to. Yeah. And I feel like we can also hold ourselves personally accountable to that. And I really, it's not, um, how do I say it? I'm, I'm not quite sure how to say this in a way that makes sense. It's the, it's not about being a good person or cause you're already a good person, right? It, that's not the issue. It's not that you're a bad person. If you have blind spots, it's just, you couldn't see what you couldn't see. And folks might feel like the knee-jerk reaction is, um, well, this is unfair, or what about this? And what about white people who don't get opportunities? You know, um, I'm starting to see those posts now. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've just been unfollowing. <laughs> it's like I don't have the energy. But like uh, small things, and something that got brought up is sometimes if you don't have the means or the money to be spending extra dollars, there are other things that you can do with just educating yourself. If standing up for if your friends or family members say something that is inappropriate, do you have the willingness to be anti-racist and to create some safer spaces for folks? Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, I've been the only black person in a room and someone one time made a joke. It was my boss's husband. And I felt pressure to just kind of laugh and, and my boss like, was mortified. I could see it on her face and she did try to call her husband out, but I just wanted things to be peaceful. So I'm like, Oh no, you know, fine, whatever. And her husband was like, see, Candace is okay with it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that stuff makes me feel shameful now because I didn't feel safe or feel brave to speak my truth. And the reason why I shared that is I heard someone say, you know, when they were in debate with someone, you know, I have a ton of black employees and I'm a good boss and they don't complain like they love me. And it's like, well, if you're the boss, they're probably not going to complain to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, why would they? We've already had a lifetime of knowing that 
if we were to use a word like that's racist, we're immediately going to be, someone's going to be defensive and going to try to shut us down immediately. So there are all sorts of things that you can do directly or indirectly to start holding the space. And a lot of it is being willing to look at if a person is listening and they're feeling uncomfortable and they're feeling powerless or helpless. It's like, start with yourself before you go out and try to implement all of these things, you know, like, yeah, where can your learning begin? And there's no excuses now. There's so many like websites with references and where a person can do reading about things and learning literature and so many teachers of anti-racism. And as, and like, I am not an anti-racism expert. So I am, um, if I'm not able, if I don't have the emotional bandwidth to talk to someone, I won't, but you know, it's like, don't just, believe that every black person is now an expert on anti-racism because we all have different experiences, belief systems, opinions. Black people aren't like a monolith when it comes to, well, what do I do? And so it's do the work. Google is your friend and look up the stuff. And I would encourage black people to do the same because it, and not to, um, my personal tendency is to isolate. So if I feel overwhelmed uh, I don't want to talk to anybody because just how I was brought up just in my personal life, it's like I can't burden someone with my problems. And it has been very uncomfortable for me to have to do that. But I, I like have to. I have to be connecting with people and talk things out. And it's so validating that people get what I'm saying after all these years. So uh, just for Black people who are listening, I think our work is to... It's very true that this is a racist society and we're just at the beginning stages to start to make differences and change, but dealing with where internally we might not realize that we've taken on being a victim or being less than, because we can internalize that stuff very easily. And it comes with not feeling like we should say anything or speak up or stand up for ourselves because of very real experiences that we've had Mm -hmm. or uh, not trusting our emotions and how upset we feel because if of we want to make other people feel comfortable, like I feel in that respect, we have to start taking ourselves seriously and honoring all of our emotions and trusting that in the discomfort is where the change is. The discomfort is not about punishing people or making one person feel less than it's about, no, let's all break through this together. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. Um, I think there's so much work to do for everybody. Um, I love that you brought up Erica Hines um, and her, the way she talks about um, jumping into action and that's not necessarily what's needed yet. Like, yes, your action is needed, but first of all, make sure that you've gone through the awareness phase and the analysis phase, which is to... um, identify the why behind what's going on with you personally, right? Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things is when you see that you're not the person you thought you were. Yeah, because your identity is all wrapped up in all of this and you're having to shed certain things and look at really uncomfortable things. And I guess I I, want to just bring one thing up when I hear people, white people mostly say, well, yeah, I really care about this. Um, You know, it's so important. I'm so committed. 
And then when, when you say, okay, well, let's have a discussion or let's do this reading together or whatever the thing is that you're suggesting, um, then it's, it's like, well, I, I don't have time for that right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed in my own life. How can I make time for that? Um, and that's a, that's a tough one because it's like, there's just, you, you just have to make the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't speak for white folks, but I, wait, I think it's, you said it. If that's your value system and that's your priority, you will find a way. And I think people really get lost and overwhelmed before they even start looking. I think if a person were really to start looking, there are all these resources and there are all these people who are longing to talk to white people, other white people who are like, hey, been there, done that. Not that it's perfect and not that they're like cured of racism, but they're further along the path. And they're they're saying we're willing to talk to people about what we're doing, even with things like the town hall. And I think that the town hall got recorded. So at the very least, if you've got two hours, you could take time to watch it. You know, so it's before a person starts counting things out, it's what have you actually done? Is it the idea that's overwhelming? And have you been trying to do things all by yourself on your own through when when there are pathways that people are have started to lay down for you? And and to again, I feel like white people should also be coming together and not trying to do everything alone. I think that's very important. It's ironically, this is the the big ironic piece is to overcome this. We all do have to start coming together. We come together in different ways and we have the capacity and ability to do that. There are so many people that are willing to help, that are willing to share their resources. They're willing to help you make things easier. And are you bothering to even look at what that might look like, you know? And it's like, it's everywhere. There are people who are like, here's how to do it for your kids, which is um, on Instagram. I followed the con. I don't have kids, uh, but I follow the conscious kid yeah. because they break down ideas and education, understanding and tons of literature all the time. I follow them on Instagram. They're also on Facebook. It's um, Rachel.Cargill. And there are other people that I know who have a different style of teaching anti-racism work. They're hungry. They're ready. They've been doing this forever. So white people don't have to feel like they're overwhelmed and alone. It's just make a little bit more of an effort to find support, but it's not, I don't want anyone to feel like they have to do everything all by themselves. Like we have to do the inner work all by ourselves for sure, but there are people who can help you do that and to seek them out consciously. Don't just throw up the hands in the air and go, it's just too hard. I don't know. Uh, We wouldn't do that with anything else. So if you had to drive a car, you'd be like, this is too overwhelming. I don't understand any of the stuff and throw your hands in the air. You'd probably read the book and get someone that could help you drive. And you would expect to make mistakes, but you would stick with it. Same with running a business or anything else. You know, if you never baked anything, would you get overwhelmed? You'd probably like, let me get a cookbook or follow a recipe and like learn how to do stuff rather than trying to build all like start from the ground up build something that you don't even understand. It's like people have already been doing it. They can help you. Yeah. I loved that the business owners on the town hall panel last night talked about that. Like, you know, we're all business owners here, at least on the, in the panel they were. Um, And they were like, uh, you know, 
we've we didn't get to where we are by doing everything easy. Like we've had really hard challenges to get here. And um, this is another one. And let's just get to work. Right. I do have a list of resources on my website. Uh, it's at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. I'll link to that in the show notes. And I'll ask Candice if she would like to, no pressure, uh, look at that list and add anything to it that you have found helpful. Um, that would be a good place uh, for listeners to go as well. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. And real quick, and I know we're wrapping up here, but one of the things that stood out to me, Giovanna, that you did when you had called me and asked uh, first, you called me and you were like, I can't remember the words that you used, but it was almost like, do you have the bandwidth to even have a conversation right now? And I just want to say, I so appreciated that. And I was like, yeah, I actually do. And then you're like, hey, and also, would you have the bandwidth to have a conversation like this? And, you know, it's totally cool. And I could feel that you were sincere when you said that it wasn't performative at all. And I really appreciate you just taking the time to acknowledge me in that way. It meant a lot. And I was like, yeah, like, let's, let's make the time and do it. So, and I, I feel like you did a little bit of that again, where it's like, of course, I'm going to look at what's on the, in the show notes. And that's not a problem. I like that stuff. Yeah, cool. Okay. I think the listeners will get a lot out of having you add to add to that uh, with resources that you've found as well. Awesome. Well, any last thoughts? And of course, this won't doesn't have to be the last conversation. We can come back on here anytime and chat about how things are progressing or not. <laughs> um, right. Any any last thoughts for today? No, I just thank you so much for being willing to have a conversation like this and use your platform in this way. And you know, I, I get it. I I just want to say I don't. And I know I said it before, but if people don't agree with what we're saying, I mean that's fine. So long as you're doing your anti-racism work. You know, I do definitely do not speak for all black people. So don't make the mistake of looking for a box to check off of something I have said. It's it's we have the capacity for great healing, each and every one of us. The world isn't going to hell. We're being handed an invitation for even greater than what we thought was possible. So just want to throw that out there again. I love that. We couldn't end any better than that. So we will end there. Thank you so much, Candace Thomas, for having a conversation with me. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join our community. There's a list of anti-racism resources at wellwomanlife.com slash anti-racism. And you can check out all the past episodes of the Well Woman Show featuring Black, Indigenous, and women of color at wellwomanlife.com slash women of color. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week, so be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.